Well, friends, if you have a Bible with you and hope that you do, open with me to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 5, and put a placeholder somewhere near verse 12. The Pew Bible, it's page 913, 913 in the Pew Bible. We'll get to our text in just a moment. It's a very inspiring text, but I'll warn you, personally challenging text. I want to give you one of the major applications up front, and it's really by way of a question, and here is the question. Have we ever considered how we would respond if we were persecuted for what we believe to be true? Actually, us being persecuted today for what we believe to be true. These days, it seems a lot more probable that you and I will somehow suffer some form of persecution. Have you ever thought how you would respond, how we would respond to being caused to suffer, maybe financially, maybe physically, mentally, emotionally, caused to suffer for the fullness of the gospel? What would we do? Well, perhaps better, what will we do when persecution and suffering comes our way? Well, let me tell you about one way a remarkable man handed persecution and suffering. I was privileged to have served in the same Navy fighter squadron with him 20 years after he served in that squadron. The stories of his leadership and bravery were legend. He would go on to be awarded the highest award in the military, that's the Medal of Honor for his service to his nation. You see, it was in September of 1965 that James Stockdale was forced to eject from his aircraft, having been shot down by the enemy over North Vietnam. Upon ejection, he broke a bone in the lower part of his back, and a rough parachute landing left his knee dislocated. Unable to evade the enemy, he was quickly captured. He would spend the next seven years of his life in what's now infamously called the Hanoi Hilton. He was the highest serving, the most senior serving naval officer in captivity. Despite being kept in solitary confinement for four years, in leg irons for two years, routinely tortured, malnourished, received no medical care, Stockdale continued to heroically lead his troops. He helped develop a tap-code communication system where these Americans could keep in contact with one another by tapping on their cell wall and spread the news throughout the camp. He also developed and disseminated a set of honor principles that they would all agree to abide by as they were being interrogated by the enemy. At one point, his difficult captors told him that they would put him before a camera and to make a propaganda video. But before they did that, he was able to find a razor and badly opened up the wounds on his head and he became a bloody mess so they would not put him on that propaganda video. But to solve that, they merely put a hat on him and said, tomorrow you will go back before the camera. But before they got to him, he was able to find a metal stool and beat his face that was so swollen it was beyond recognition. And his captors told him that, that he continued to resist, and if he continued to lead his troops, that he would suffer significantly worse persecution. But Stockdale confidently and consistently led his men right up until the day 
of his release. James Stockdale considered himself worthy to suffer for his men and the freedom of the nation that he was there to defend. He considered himself worthy to suffer. Well, heroic accounts like this are always much easier to read about than they are actually to live. We all would much prefer to watch a documentary about somebody who suffered rather than star in that documentary ourselves. But the question still remains, friend, what will you and I do when we one day have to suffer persecution for what we know to be true? How will you and I respond? Will we be considered worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, our Acts 5 narrative this morning is quite lengthy, so I suggest that we get right to it. Our author, Luke, wrote the following in the book of Acts, the following chapter one, the ascension of Christ, that in chapter two, the New Testament church had begun, and the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully and quickly, bringing thousands and thousands of people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The church was experiencing unbelievable growth, but persecution came and resistance came quickly from the Sadducees, that political religious ruling group in Israel. They hated the disciples. They were jealous of the fact that the church was growing so rapidly, and they wanted to do away with those disciples. Acts chapter four tells us that Peter and John were preaching in the temple, but they were arrested and put in prison by the Sadducees only to be scolded and said, never speak about the name of Jesus again when they were released. But they went right back and gathered the other disciples with them, and they continued to preach what they knew to be true, even at the risk of persecution at suffering. God was giving them great favor in the start of the New Testament church, and the Sadducees were angry and wanted to have these disciples killed. The Sadducees totally underestimated the boldness and the desire of these disciples. Let's look at our text, beginning in verse 12. Luke writes in Acts 5, As the, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. That's just a porch on the eastern side of the temple in Jerusalem. But none of the rest, those are the non-believers, those outside of faith, none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people, those are the believers, held them, the disciples, in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all, all being healed. The Holy Spirit was moving powerfully in Jerusalem and the surrounding cities. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were coming to Christ, and through the miraculous powers the disciples had, they were being physically healed of their maladies. It was an overwhelming and exciting time. But persecution came quickly. Look at verse 17. But the high priest, this is either Annas or Caiaphas, rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. 
they laid hands on the apostles. In other words, they grabbed them. And by the way, this is not just Peter and John now. This is all of the apostles. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, God has got a great sense of humor. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, run for the hills. No, that's not what he said at all. He said, go right back to Jerusalem and preach. Go right back to the temple. Verse 20 says, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. The disciples didn't hesitate. Look at verse 21. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak. They couldn't wait to get there at daybreak. And they began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all of the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. They were going to have some kind of mock trial of these disciples and, and eventually be able to sentence them, hopefully sentence them to death. That was their plan. Verse 22, but the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened it up, we found no one inside. God's sense of humor. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, imagine that, about them as to what would, have become, what would come of this. But someone came, we don't know who this is, but someone came and reported to them, the men whom you had put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers. He wanted to see for himself. And he proceeded to bring them back without violence. You see, the captain and his officers, when they went to the temple where the, the disciples were now preaching, they were told not to, but they're preaching again, the crowd was massive. And to interrupt the good news being, being laid out for all these people, those people would have been angry. And they might have stoned the captain and the officers. So they brought them back gently. They probably requested that they come back with them. Verse 27, when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. Here's that mock trial. And the high priest then questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in, his, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Listen to the principle that the disciples had developed among themselves. This is like their own honor code, like the POWs did in Vietnam. Listen to how the disciples responded to the council. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then God, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What a response the disciples had stood their ground. They stood erect when they were being accused of doing something that only God wanted them to do was preach the word. They stood their ground. They could die now for having stood so tall. But God uses an unlikely ally. 
to free them from prison and to continue the message of the gospel. It's a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. He becomes the, the teacher of Saul who becomes the apostle Paul. He's a highly respected man and he intervenes. God uses him, the respected man, to intervene on their behalf. Look at verse 33. But when they heard this, the council heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them, the disciples. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. He said to them in private conversation, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, a Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away from some people after him. But he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, meaning with the disciples, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will eventually be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Unlikely ally makes a case for leaving these men alone. The Sadducees wanted to kill them, and God uses this Pharisee to advocate on their behalf. Verse 40 says, they, the Sadducees, took his advice. And after calling the apostles back in, they had to do something. They had to save face here. They were going to kill him, but at least they had to do something. They couldn't just release him, so they flogged them. This word goes by really quickly in the text here, but flogging is pretty serious. These men were beaten, were whipped. Maybe 39 bloody lashes they received. They received a very strict, could have been deadly punishment. It says that they flogged them and ordered them not to speak, here they go again, in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. Verse 41, so they, the disciples, went on their way from the presence of the council. Here's a key word. This is our key word of the day right here. Rejoicing. They went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day, following this now, verse 42 says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The Sadducees totally, totally underestimated the mindset and the sheer boldness of these spirit-filled disciples. The love of Christ and the love for Christ compelled them. They could do nothing but share the good news of the gospel. But when you think about it, think of all that these men had been through in the past three years. Just about three years ago, most of them were fishing on the Sea of Galilee for a living. Another one was collecting taxes on behalf of the government. All of them probably were completely oblivious to God's redemptive plan that was unfolding and would involve them, completely oblivious to that. But then they met Jesus, and everything changed. Jesus spoke truth to them and all around them, and he spoke it with authority. 
They saw Jesus perform miracles. They saw Jesus lift up the least of the people. They watched Jesus wash their own feet and then intentionally carry his own cross to a place called Calvary and die a death that he didn't have to die. That he willingly went to that cross to pay for their sins. They witnessed it. And three days later, they witnessed the resurrected Jesus. And within a few weeks after Jesus had resurrected, each of them was given a commission and told that they would be his witnesses. And then they watched Jesus ascend. And then they witnessed the Holy Spirit move with great power and enthusiasm to begin the whole New Testament church. These men had been through so much in just three years. But I think at this point in their ministry, right here in the book of Acts, as persecution was beginning at the church, against the church, I believe right here at this point in their lives, in their ministry, they thought back to what Jesus had told them right in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus had warned them that if you follow after me, you will be persecuted, but it'll be a blessing to be persecuted for me. The disciples, I believe, remember that they didn't understand it back then, but it became crystal clear for them right here. They went right back to what Jesus had taught them in Matthew chapter 5. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he said, Jesus said, starting in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, blessed, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And verse 12 starts with our key word again. Jesus said, rejoice, be glad. Your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our key word today is rejoice in persecution. Here in Matthew chapter 5, it is an imperative. That's the form of the word that Jesus gives. It's a predictive command. Jesus said, when you are persecuted in the future, you will rejoice. I want you to rejoice and be glad. And here now in Acts chapter 5, we find the disciples, when they are persecuted and they are under extreme persecution, the, the scripture says it's a participle now, they are rejoicing. That's what verse 41 says. Jesus had predicted that they would rejoice when they were persecuted. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 5, what we just read, says, they were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They considered themselves worthy. They were excited about, they were rejoicing, they were glad that they had an opportunity to suffer for Jesus. Friend, how will we respond when persecution comes our way? They rejoiced. The Apostle Peter will describe a little bit later in his own writings in 1 Peter chapter 4. He writes this in verse 13. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. He wants us to rejoice. The Apostle Paul said something very similar 
when he writes in Philippians chapter 1 about his own struggle and persecution, his own imprisonment. This is what he writes about him rejoicing in his own persecution, his own imprisonment. He says in Philippians 1 and verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Remember, Paul's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been snake bit. He's eventually going to sit on death row for a stand for the gospel. And he says here, my circumstances have actually come out better when he's in prison. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And he said, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul says, hey, I'm in prison, but I'm chained to, to these Roman guards. And you know what I spend my day doing in prison, chained to these guards? I'm sharing the gospel with him and I'm sharing the gospel with him. Eight hours later, two more guards. I share the gospel such that the gospel has gone out to the whole Praetorian Guard. And he said, and Paul says, outside of prison, the brothers are getting fired up and getting encouraged because they're hearing about my faith and my rejoicing in persecution. And now the gospel is going like fire. Paul says we need to rejoice. Peter says we need to rejoice. Jesus says we need to rejoice when suffering comes, when persecution comes. Now, to be clear, nobody ever asks, I don't know of anybody that asks to be persecuted, but we don't, we don't control when persecution comes. But the challenge still remains for us is how will you and I respond when persecution comes. What will we do when it comes? Not if it comes, but when it comes, what will we do? Would we consider ourselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, for the gospel, what we know to be true? Well, the disciples responded with great joy, and we should plan to do so as well, but how does one do that? Well, let me give you four quick things that I believe that the disciples considered, which brought them to a position where they're able to respond to persecution with rejoicing. Four things that I think the disciples considered that we should consider as well. First of all, I believe the disciples considered what Jesus had endured. The disciples were being persecuted for their faith, but in their minds they're thinking that's nothing compared to what Jesus had endured. The disciples loved their master. They knew their master. They watched him be publicly humiliated, hauled away by the Roman guards, beaten, whipped, and then put upon that cross. They understand in their day the agony and the physical suffering of somebody who experiences crucifixion, what Jesus endured, they were familiar with. But I think what also got their undivided attention was what they thought of what Jesus had actually taken on as God in the flesh. The Apostle Paul writes about it in the Philippians chapter 2. It's called the great kenosis. The great kenosis passage, which is a Greek word that means the self-emptying. What Jesus took on when he took on the form of a man. All of the things that he now had experienced, that you and I experienced. 
And the disciples understood that. Were the disciples poor? Christ was poor. Were the disciples surrounded by enemies? Christ was surrounded by enemies. Were they slandered? Yes, Christ was slandered. Were they betrayed by their friends? Yes, Christ was betrayed by friends. Were they dragged and hauled away to suffer? Christ was dragged and hauled away to suffer. Might they be killed for their faith? Jesus was killed for his faith. And the disciples considered what Jesus had endured, and they were willing to be considered worthy themselves then to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Jesus had warned them back in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, don't worry, the world hated me first. He had warned them ahead of time. The very next chapter in John chapter 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of courage, I've overcome the world. The disciples considered what Jesus had suffered And they wanted to, too, be considered worthy to suffer. Salvation is free, friends, but it's not cheap. It caused Jesus his life. And the disciples considered what Jesus had suffered, and they were, too, willing to suffer and rejoiced in being persecuted for their faith. Well, not only would they consider what Jesus had endured, but secondly, they considered that God can deliver them. They considered that God could deliver them in their suffering. They were familiar with how the Bible was full of stories about how God had provided a deliverer. You think how God had sent the flood to destroy the earth, but God had taken the righteous, Noah and his family, and delivered them by way of the ark. You think of how Joseph was thrown in a pit by his brothers and left for dead. But God delivered him and raised him up to be the prime minister of Egypt, literally saving the nation of Israel during a time of famine. God had delivered them. Think about how God had delivered the nation of Israel who was taken away captive and enslaved in Egypt. And God used a man by the name of Moses to come and deliver them. And God delivered them also by parting the Red Sea and taking them eventually to the promised land. God had delivered them. Think about how God had delivered Lot from Sodom. How God had delivered Daniel from a den of lions. God had delivered David from the pursuing King Saul. That God was a deliverer. And now here, then, the disciples in Acts chapter 5 were were realizing their own deliverance. They were scheduled to die at the hands of the Sadducees. But God used an angel to break them out of prison. And then when they were hauled back before the Sadducees, God delivered them yet again. An unlike ally, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, to deliver them. But they realized that they were delivered for a purpose because they were called to be witnesses. That was the position that they held. They were called to be witnesses no matter what the outcome would be. And so they went right back and began to speak the good news of what they knew to be true. These disciples were considering what Jesus had endured. They were considering that God could deliver. Thirdly, they considered that their suffering would be short. The suffering for the believer in Jesus Christ, it may be stinging for a season, but friends, it'll only be short. It can't last forever. The wicked will rule in this world. This is Satan's world, and the wicked rule in this world, but they will suffer in the next. The believer may suffer in this world, but the Scripture tells us we will rule and reign in the next. Hallelujah. Christian may be killed, but they'll never lose a reward. It's been said a Christian may lose their head, 
but they'll never lose their crown. We may be called to suffer in this world, but for a season, but it will not last forever. There's great reward waiting for us in heaven. And that's the fourth point. Not only did they consider what Jesus had endured, they considered that God could deliver, they considered that our suffering would be short, but finally they considered that the reward, the reward for suffering for Jesus would be great. Paul had warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I don't recommend reading this verse to somebody you're trying to lead to Christ, but he warned us nonetheless. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But friend, we need to pause here for just a second and say, what if I'm not being persecuted for my faith? What if I'm never persecuted for a faith? Well, Paul says those who want to lead a, here's a key phrase, godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can get through this life by not being persecuted, but you're not going to be living a godly life. Paul says anybody who wants to lead a godly life in this earth, you will be persecuted. But I believe the disciples understood that there was great reward even in the persecution. There's great merit in being persecuted. We're called to grow. We're given the privilege to suffer. Paul said that in the Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. He said, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's granted. It's a privilege. Not everybody gets to, but believers get to suffer for Christ's sake. It's been given to us as a privilege. Think of all those that have gone before us that have suffered for the faith. We are now in community, in communion with them, Christ being the head. But James also tells us, we've been studying the book of James here on Sunday morning. James argues in James chapter 1 that trials, they test the Christian faith. They, they develop endurance in this life and they help develop maturity. Just think of steel as tempered in the fire. That's how trials and persecutions serve to strengthen the character of believers. It drives us to our knees. It drives us to a stronger and more dependent relationship on one another and on Jesus Christ. It has great benefit. There's great reward in our suffering. Christian persecution also forges the bonds of believers and causes the gospel to spread much more quickly. Think of the nation of the United States coming together on the 12th of September, 2001. Think of the patriotism across our nation. Adversity had caused us to come together in community. It's the same with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are persecuted, with any time the church is coming to me under purge and is persecuted, the gospel spreads like wildfire. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And people are literally changed in persecution. There's deep spiritual growth. Camaraderie replaces independence. Boldness replaces weakness. And urgency replaces complacency. Jesus had said, in his Matthew 5 Sermon on the Mount, he says, you will receive great reward in the future for having served me here and being persecuted for it. 
That's why the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he's about to be beheaded by Emperor Nero. He's sitting in a Roman prison all alone, know that he's about to die. He says boldly and confidently this in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, in the future, he knows the reward is coming for his persecution. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He says, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Friends, there's great reward for being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus had warned us and promised us all at the same time. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Will we be considered worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, as we close, I want to make two quick applications of our text and something for us to walk away with. I think anytime we look at the Word of God, we have to make an application both for the believer and the non-believer. The believer is obvious, but for the non-believer, maybe not so obvious. But you see, the Word of God applies to the believer and the non-believer. All of us will be held accountable to the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 says, the non-believer suppresses the truth in unrighteousness but they're still held accountable to the Word of God. And so I, I have to make my first application to those that are not walking with Christ. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And I have some good news and some bad news for the non-believers that may be here or listening today. There's good news and there's bad news. The good news is everything I spoke about, all of what we talked about today about persecution, you don't have to worry about. I suppose in some strange way that's good news for you, that you will never, ever, ever be persecuted for something you don't believe to be true. Somebody says, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? No, not me. I don't know the man. Nothing to do with him. Okay, next. You'll never be persecuted because you have no relationship with him. But in full disclosure, and I said it before, the non-believers, the the wicked, they, they rule and reign in this earth now, but they will suffer in the next. And that's full disclosure. The good news is you will have no persecution in this earth. The bad news is vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And there's a place already designated for those who reject what God has to offer here on earth, and it's a place called hell. And there's no escape from that, and there's constant pain and constant suffering. You talk about being persecuted for what you believe. This is persecuted for what you don't believe. And you'll spend forever more in there. And friend, if there's never been a time you put your faith and trust in Christ, now is the time. Now is the day of your salvation. Make sure that you know that you know. Should you die today or tomorrow in the days or weeks to follow, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that if you die, that you would spend eternity with Christ. Not because of anything you've done, money you've, you've made, any accolades that are on your resume. But it's all because what Christ has done for us on the cross at Calvary. Friend, don't leave here today without knowing him. Know that you know. And then secondly, the application for the believer in Jesus Christ, we need to mimic what those disciples did. Jesus warned us that we would be persecuted, but he also told us his great reward in the persecution. What those disciples had we have today as well. Those disciples had position, they had principle, and they had power. Their position was given to them by the Great Commission. 
They were told, go into the world and make disciples, baptize, teach him to obey. We have the same position, witnesses of Jesus Christ. Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it still applies to each one of us. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth, even to Springfield, Virginia. You will receive power and you'll be my witnesses. That was the disciples' position That's our position as well. The Great Commission still applies. Secondly, the disciples developed a principle that they would always obey God over man. God would always be the one that they would obey over man. I know many of you are involved in the public education system. Maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a student, you're involved in government military where you're constantly being told This is the rules about what you can do about your faith. But friends, we still have a principle that you and I are called to obey God over man. We have a position as witnesses. We have a principle that we obey God over man. And finally, but most importantly, what enables us is we have the same power, and that being the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power. It's the word dunamis in Greek. It means dynamic power, explosive power. And he says, and you will be my witnesses. Friends, we have that. We have the position by way of the Great Commission. We have the principle that the disciples have laid out. We must obey God over man, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do both. We have it. Oh, that God would find us that he would find us and consider us worthy to suffer for the sake of the truth, for the sake of the gospel. Again, salvation is free, but it's not cheap that you and I would be considered worthy to suffer on behalf of our Savior. Let's pray. Our God, this is indeed a challenging text we've been presented with this morning. You warned us in advance that we would suffer for the gospel, but it would be great reward. But you want us to rejoice. Lord, would you help us to be a people that indeed do rejoice? We want to represent you well in a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. And Father, we understand that we would be persecuted. We may be caused to suffer for the gospel. Would you give us the ability to stand tall when that happens, to represent you well? I think of those that may be here with us this morning, have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ, Lord, that you would sober them to the point that they understand that time is passing on. They don't know how much time that they have, that you would give them no rest until they're drawn into a relationship with you oh god that you would bring us to the point in our lives that we would live those godly lives that paul speaks about where we would suffer persecution but we would consider be considered worthy to suffer for you pray that in the powerful name of jesus amen you have been listening to emmanuel You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. 
Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.